Take our Bibles this evening and be looking in the New Testament. We'll begin in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Good to see you tonight. 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter. We have been um, highlighting some major foundational doctrines for the big part of the last several months. And generally, we'll just take one message for a particular doctrine. The exceptions to that was when we were studying about why we use the Bible we use. We spent several weeks on that subject, just a good refresher, I think. And the same on the doctrine of salvation. This will be the third lesson and the last lesson, I think, on the doctrine of salvation. So it's such an important doctrine, and it never gets old. Truth never gets old. And it's good to be reminded and refreshed, and so we'll do some of that tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and let's stand, if you're able to stand this evening, for the reading of God's Word. And we'll begin reading in verse 9. First Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Emphasis on the were. Such were some of you. If a person says they're saved and they're still living in that kind of lifestyle, you have to question, are they really regenerated, really transformed? Such were some of you, but ye are, present tense. You were this, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. We pray that you'd bless your word in our lives. We need your truth so much. We want to be those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And we pray that you would just write upon the tables of our heart eternal truths. And may we be Led, Lord, not by our emotions, not by our circumstances, but by the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So just to review quickly, we, you know, we started this series out talking about uh, salvation and the way of salvation. What is the true gospel of salvation and the role of repentance and faith? And who can be saved? The candidates for salvation, and of course all people, 
can be saved. Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. But then we talked about the effect of salvation on us, the result of salvation in our lives. We had a lesson where we talked about regeneration, what that means, the new birth. We've been given a new nature. And the Holy Spirit moves in. He indwells us. We have a new relationship with God. He's our Father. We're His children. This is all by virtue of our salvation. And then in our text here, the word justified is used in verse 11. We talked about justification, adoption, glorification. And that brings us to what we're going to speak on tonight, also found in our text in verse 11. It says, And such were some of you, but you are washed, but you are sanctified. We want to talk about what that means tonight, this matter, this doctrine of sanctification. Now the text is a great text to begin with for me because it, it just is very clear that true salvation brings about a transformation, regeneration, cleansing, justification, and sanctification. And without the salvation which manifests itself in these other ways, no person is going to enter the kingdom of God. The Bible is very clear. The unrighteous, it says in verse 9, shall not enter or inherit, excuse me, the kingdom of God. People cannot go to heaven. Cannot. Absolutely impossible. People cannot go to heaven in their natural, unregenerate state. They must be born again. They must have a new birth. That word, that phrase, shall not. Very emphatic phrase. There are no exceptions to that. If you've not been transformed, if you've not been regenerated, you have no hope of going to heaven. But the good news is you can be saved through faith in Christ. The Bible says in verse 9 about this subject, it says, Be not deceived. Don't be deceived. People can be deceived about that. They can think that I'm good enough or, you know, God's going to, I'm not as bad as some people. All those kinds of false reasoning. Don't be deceived. And all these kinds of characteristics there in verses 9 and 10, not, not a complete list, obviously, but idolaters, you know, thieves, drunkards, revilers, just a long list. And some of us could say, you know, I've been guilty of, Almost every one of those, many of those things. That's, but that was because we were lost. We're in this lost condition. But verse 11 says, you're not that way anymore. I hope you can see that tonight. I hope you can say that tonight. I'm not the way I used to be. If you can't, then, then question yourself. Make your calling election sure. Such were some are you. But now he says, you are, in verse 11, ye are justified, you're washed, you're sanctified. So let's think about that word sanctified and sanctification. There's some other words that fit into that discussion. The word holy, for instance, and the word saint. You know, when Paul addresses this church, you're in 1 Corinthians 5 go or 6, go to the left a little bit to 1 Corinthians 1. When Paul's addressing this church in 1 Corinthians, 
chapter 1 and verse 2, it says, Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified, that's our subject, one of our subjects tonight, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. So for everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus, there are two words that are used to describe them, and one of them is sanctified, and the other one is saints. The saints, all these Corinthian believers were saints. One of the things that makes this uh, interesting when you think about it is when, you, when you're familiar with all the um, serious character issues and spiritual issues they had, the Corinthians, and yet they're called saints. You're saints. He called them saints, and he says they're sanctified. Now, the word sanctified means set apart. Think about that. It means to be set apart. Uh, sometimes when we use a term, and it's a, it's a biblical term, to be separated, it's the same concept, the same meaning. You know, to be set apart. If you're a saint, that you're set apart from something and you're set apart to something. You're set apart from sin, you're set apart to God. And the, the word separated is a word that could be used synonymously with that. So let's just think about, let's just try to, in our mind, think about what it means. God says if you're saved, now if you're not saved, this is not you. But if you're saved, you are a saint. Right? St. Joseph. If you're saved, you're a saint. And you are sanctified. Now, let's think about some other English words that help us understand the concept. And the first word I want to use is holy. The word holy. The word holy in our English Bible is translated from a Greek word, hagios. H-A-G-I-O-S. Hagios. And hagios means consecrated. Set apart. Holy. Something is... It, we think of holy as someone that's just being sinless, but it's not just that. It's something that has been consecrated. It's... It's been set apart, set apart, primarily set apart to God. Holy means you've been set apart to God. The word hagios, the Greek word, is translated 168 times in the New Testament as holy. That's talking about the Holy Spirit, talking about the Holy Scriptures, but it's talking about the holy believers. So hagios, now don't, I'm not, don't lose... I don't want to lose you on this, but Hagios translated 170 times almost as holy, but it's translated 60 times, the same word translated 60 times as saint. So saint and holy are synonymous. They're both translated from the same Greek word. So you could say that the word saint and the word holy mean precisely the same thing. So sanctified and saint has to do with holiness. Being set apart. The word sanctify is from the same root as hagios. It's hagiazo. And it's translated 29 times in the New Testament as sanctify. 
What is sanctified means to be consecrated, to be set apart, to be sacred. Generally, it means to be separated from sin and the world and separated unto God. So when a person is saved, they are justified. They are, God looks at them, that's a judicial term. We talked about this in another message. When a person is saved, God the judge looks at that person as though they never sinned. They're justified. That's a great thing, isn't it? They're redeemed. They're regenerated. They're a new creature. But they're also sanctified. That means they're set apart for God. Now, for a person to say they're saved and they don't want to be dedicated to God or consecrated to God, you have to understand that is a great that's a great conflict there in those two things. Because when you got saved, God says, you belong to me. God says that. And if you say, well, no, I'm going to live my own life, then you've got a serious issue. Either you're not saved or you're in rebellion against God. Or maybe you're just not informed about who you are. But I'll tell you, when you, when you got saved, you're not the same person anymore. And you have a different master, you have a different Lord, you have a different father, you have a different nature, you have a different home, you have a different purpose because you've been saved. All, you, you know, you thought as a young person or adult when you came as a lost sinner and you were repenting of your sins and putting your faith in Christ. And for many of us, the main thing that was on our mind is we didn't want to go to hell. We knew we were guilty and that's, that's common, but we had no concept of what was about to take place. Because what took place was you were totally changed from a world of darkness to a world of light. And your evil father, the devil, was replaced by a godly father, the holy God of heaven. And you became a new person. That's what happened when you got saved. And you were sanctified. Now, I want us to think of this matter of holiness or sanctification or saint as both a spiritual position, that's something God says you are. We'll see that in the scripture. But also a spiritual pursuit, that's what you're becoming. See, you know, John the Beloved wrote in 1 John chapter 3, for it doth not yet appear what we shall be. We're not, we're, this is, you're not looking at the finished product. But as far as God is concerned, right now, present tense, I'm seated with him in heavenly places. So saved, it's unreal. But in life, we're still growing in this becoming who we are. Again, that's, that's, the, that's the great conflict with a person, a troubling reality for a person who says they're saved and yet there's no interest, no desire, no indication, no movement toward becoming a more consecrated, dedicated child of God. There's something wrong with that picture. And it'll never be right. It'll never seem right. And if, and if it's okay in a person's mind, it shows that there's some kind of spiritual problem in that person's life. So let's think about sanctification, first of all, as a spiritual position. When I say position, that means it is a fact. It is a position that we enjoy. In our text, 1 Corinthians 6, 
and verse 11 it says, And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are. Not you will be, you may be, you could be, no. Ye are sanctified. That is a spiritual position. We're going to come back to 1 Corinthians 6, but I want to look at some other verses tonight. Go now to Acts, the book of Acts, just to illustrate this doctrinal point. Acts chapter 26. In Acts chapter 26, Paul is giving his defense, his testimony before King Agrippa. And he uses the word saints in his uh, declaration. Acts chapter 26 and verse 10. We're going to get kind of into the middle of his testimony. He said, um, well, let's look at verse 9. For I verily thought with myself, Paul is speaking, I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I thought I was doing the right thing. Verse 10, which thing I also did in Jerusalem. In, here in Jerusalem, I did those things contrary to the name of Jesus. And many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. Now there, Paul uses a word to describe Christians. And what is that word? It's the word saints, the translated from the word hagios. Sometimes translated as holy. He referred to those believers as saints. Now, we don't always do that. I find I hear it more and I use it more. You talk about Christians, you use the word saints. And there's a variety of reasons for that, that we don't use the word more. One reason is we don't think of ourselves as being saints. You know, we... We think of that song, there's nothing really wrong with the song, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, and that is what I am. I'm a sinner saved by grace, but I'm not just a sinner, I'm a saint, right? It's what God calls you, a saint. By the way, the more we think of ourselves in those terms sometimes, the more we might live like that, because we realize that's really what God says we are. So Paul is referring to these people. He didn't, get, he didn't even talk about personal people or individual names. He said that he called them saints. Go to the right, just a little bit to the book of Romans and look in Romans chapter 15. And there's so many examples of this. In Romans chapter 15, Paul writing here to the believers there in Rome. And look in verse 25 where he writes to them and says, But now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. The word saint means holy, consecrated. They're saints. Paul didn't use the word saint because he knew they lived a separated life. He used the word saint because he knew as children of God, they were consecrated a holy people. We're a peculiar people, Peter wrote. A chosen nation. Saints. God's children positionally. I'm talking about the positional aspect of this. God's children positionally are saints. Now we may not always live like it, but that's who we are. 
That's what God says we are. If you say, well, I'm not a saint, then either you're lost or you're, you're saying something contrary to what God says. God says you're a saint. You say, well, my husband's not a saint. If he's saved, he is a saint. He may say his wife's not a saint, but that's another sermon for another time. But anyway, we saw this in this verse we read a moment ago. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians, but look in chapter 1. We see these two aspects together in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2. Paul writes and says, unto the church of God. Now, to be in the church, you've got to be saved and you've got to be scripturally baptized to be in the church. Under the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, they're set apart in Christ Jesus, and they're called to be saints. So they're sanctified, but they're called to be saints. So to me, that means sanctified and sainthood is what we are, but it's also what we're to be pursuing. That we're going to, we're in this pursuit. All those who are sanctified are called to be holy. They're called to live holy lives. I, I would like to just uh, say a word of encouragement, especially to parents, that we not only understand this concept as far as our own personal life, that we're saved, that means we belong to God. That means that we're set apart for God. Our life is not our own. We've been bought with a price. We've been purchased by God. But we're also to live holy lives. Now, we need to understand that. And we need to help communicate that to our children. Your life, your life does not belong to you. If you're saved, you belong to God. And we're to live holy lives. We're to live separated lives. We're to be different by the, from the world. So you have this, there's a dual aspect to me to this matter of sanctification. It means you are set apart, but you're being made holy. Uh, go to, with me to John for a moment. The Gospel of John, chapter 17, to me one of the most beautiful, important, powerful chapters of the Bible. It's the prayer that Jesus prayed for us prior to going to Calvary. And we're not going to look at the entire prayer, but just a few verses of it. John chapter 17, and look please in verse 14. Jesus is praying. Listen to the words as he prays for us. He prays to his Father and says in verse 14, I have given them, talking about his followers, thy word, and the world hath hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Now that's a... That's an amazing statement. Jesus said about his disciples, and there's no question he's not just praying this for them. He's also praying this for us as well. I hope you are aware of this. Well, let's just look at it quickly just so you'll know. Look in verse 20. Jesus prays, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. See, this prayer was prayed for them, but also for us. Because we believed on him through their word, through the testimony 
of others. And so when Jesus prayed for us in verse 14, he says to his father, just like I, praying to his father, just like I'm not of the world, they are not of the world. Now that's a lot to say, isn't it? Jesus, there's nothing about Jesus that is of this world. But he says, we're not to be of this world. Verse 15, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world. I don't want to remove them physically from the world. But that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. I want them to be in the world, but not of the world. And then, Father, keep them from the evil. Look in verse 16. They are not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them. Through thy truth, thy word is truth. So he, he says we're not of the world, we're separated unto God, we're separated from the world, but then he prayed that God would sanctify us. Sanctification is a position that we enjoy, but it's a pathway that we walk of holiness and consecration to God. They are set apart. That's our position. Keep them from the world. That's our practice. That's our walk. Make them holy, Jesus prayed. Make them holy. I've, I've preached on this passage many times in numerous places. And one of the things that I emphasize is that Jesus prayed for you and I that we'd be holy people. So they're, they were, they're saints, and we're saints in a positional way. That's, they are not of the world, but sanctify them in a practical way. Here's... If I could summarize it this way. It's like Jesus says, help them to live in a set-apart way from sin as they positionally are set apart for God. That's what God wants. They're holy, help them to live holy. So both these things are true. We are sanctified in our position, but also in our pursuit. This term, sanctification, tells us two things. It tells us who we are. We don't belong to this world. We belong to Jesus Christ. We're not of this world. It tells us who we are. But secondly, it tells us how we're to live. We're to live that way. We're to live as though this world is not our home. I'm going to go back to that passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 where we began. I'm going to illustrate this point in a few more places. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 11, we've read it numerous times now. Paul writes, and such were some of you, but you're washed, but you are sanctified. You are sanctified. But then if you just back up and look at this chapter and some other things in this chapter that Paul is dealing with, for instance, look in chapter 6 and verse 1. Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? He said, don't do this. I, you should not do this. He says you're sanctified, and then he says, don't do this. In other words, live, live like you're supposed to live because of who you are. Look in chapter 6 and verse 5. I speak to your shame, he writes to them. 
Some people would say, well, this doesn't even make sense. On one hand, he says, you're sanctified, set apart from God. And the other one, he says, shame on you. You know why? Because he's saying, this is who you are. Therefore, this is how you should live. This is who you are. This is how you should behave. Look in chapter 6 and verse 7. Now, therefore, there is utterly a fault among you. You're wrong about this. You're sanctified but you're not as separated as you should be. You're sanctified, but there's things you need to change in your life. That's not a conflict. It's just, I think, a very important concept to understand this matter of sanctification. Again, Jesus says, you're not of the world. You're not of the world. But John the Beloved says, that we're not, love not the world, neither the things are in the world. You're not to love the, you're in the, not in, you're in the world, but not of the world. Therefore, don't love the things of the world. We're commanded to come out of the world. I go from 1 Corinthians just a little bit to the right, if you would, to the book of Ephesians. And let's see some references to it here. And we'll see a few more. First, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, he's talking to another church now, the church at Ephesus, by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. They're saints and they're faithful. They're saints. They're holy. They're set apart for God. Look in chapter 5, or excuse me, chapter 1 and verse 4. It says, according as he hath chosen us in him before the world, the foundation of the world, he've chosen, we've been chosen that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So verse 1, he says, you are saints. You're hagios, set apart to God. Verse 4, he says, you're to live holy life. That's the, t- the two things go together. The two things always go together. Together. Look in chapter 5 and verse 3. It says, But fornication and uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. You are saints. So don't let this behavior be in you. You know, If, there, if a person says, if a person were to say, well, I know I'm saved, I've been born again, I received Christ as my Savior, but I'm just not really into all this living a holy life, a separated life. After tonight's lesson, if not before tonight, after tonight's lesson, you ought to be able to say, hey, that's just not right. That, that's not correct. You're, you're speaking about salvation like it's okay to be saved and say I'm a saint but not live a sanctified life. The two things go together. It's a part of it. And it doesn't mean mean we live a holy life in order to be saved. It says because we are saved, we're called to live a holy life. We're saints. And we're continually being sanctified. Notice how frequently we see this in the epistles. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now we're going to another church, not the church at Corinth. Not the church at Ephesus, but the church at Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We'll, and we'll read a few verses here to illustrate this. Verse 1. For, Furthermore then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, 
that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. Now notice in verse 3. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. See, you are sanctified, and he says you are, this, and it's the will of God that you live a sanctified life. Verse 7, for God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. God didn't call just a few of his super saints to holy living. God called every child of his to holy living. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, look in verse chapter 5 and verse 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, completely. Paul, Paul makes this affirmation to them. The very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, that your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sanctification is an ongoing process. None of us have arrived. None of us. But we are saints. Ye are sanctified. But we're called to holy living. Saved people are sanctified and they're commanded to live sanctified, separated, holy lives. So a very important aspect of salvation is this term. If you'd have told me, you know, 30 minutes, an hour, a week, after I got saved, that I was a saint, I would have argued the point. For one, I knew how I was. I knew how I'd lived my whole life, right? I knew that. But I'm telling you, it just, it's a testimony to the miraculous event that takes place when a person, whoever they are, truly gets saved. They are set apart for God forever, forever. And that brings us to the last point about salvation that I want to make, and I'll be fairly brief on that. And that's, that's the fact that when you get saved, you're eternally saved. Why? Because you're sanctified. You're set apart for God. Go with me, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Beginning in verse 3, Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again, we've been born again, hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, 
who are, I have these next four words underlined, kept by the power of God. Kept. Not by good living, not by any self-effort. We're kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last day. Now, I chose this passage to illustrate this because number three, it tells us that we're saved because of God's mercy, according to his abundant mercy. God is merciful. As good a Bible prayer as you'll ever pray is, God have mercy on me, a sinner. God is merciful. And we have an inheritance, verse 4 says, an inheritance that is reserved in heaven for us because of our position in Christ. And we're kept, verse 5, by the power of God. So as Bible believers and as Baptists, which we are Baptists because we're Bible believers, we believe in the eternal security of the believer. We're not free will Baptists. Free will Baptists believe that you can be saved by choosing to be saved, but you have the free will to be lost if you can reject Christ. The Bible doesn't teach that. Once you're saved, you're eternally saved. Go to the left a little bit there to Philippians chapter 1. And Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. This, I, I include this because this doctrine is a part of salvation. We're eternally secure. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he, talking about God, which hath begun a good work in you, talking about salvation, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now there's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. When God saved you, he started a work that he will finish. He will complete. He will perform it until when? Until you decide you changed your mind? No, until the day of Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. Go to the right from there to 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. For the which cause I suffer these things, nevertheless I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. He is able. We had nothing to do. And I know some people may wonder about this, but we had nothing to do with saving ourselves except the fact that we just believed on Jesus Christ. We had nothing to do with securing our salvation and we have nothing to do with preserving our salvation. God is the one that saves us. God is the one that keeps us. And you may disagree with this, but that's okay. You have the right to be wrong. <laughs> if it were possible for a child of God to lose their salvation, all of us would. All of us would. <laughs> because none of us 
can save ourselves and none of us can keep ourselves saved. The very nature of salvation teaches us that we are eternally secure. For instance, salvation is a birth. You must be born again. Except a man be born again, John chapter 3. Well, you know, I was born the first time on May the 14th, 1954. Once I was born, I couldn't be unborn. Right? Once I was born again, you, when you get born again, you can't be unborn. Because you are saved, you're regenerated, you're converted, you're changed. Salvation is not just a prayer you pray. Salvation is the gift of eternal life. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal, everlasting life. That's the promise of salvation. Jesus never promised us that if you get saved, I'll give you a temporary um, amount of life depending on how you live. No, he says, I'll give you everlasting life. Whosoever believeth on him hath, shall not perish but have everlasting life. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. This is a present positional reality. John the Beloved said in 1 John 3, Now are ye the sons of God. Now. Present tense. Nothing can change that. I mentioned this earlier. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6 says that we're seated with him in heavenly places. Colossians says, for you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. That's, that's who you are. That's the position you enjoy. So eternal salvation is, is made real just by the reality of what salvation is. It's not a work. It's not a temporary uh, experience to see if we hold out. That's not what it is. I know people who have said, I've heard people say this. Well, if I believe that, I would just get saved and I would just live like I want to and live like the devil. No, you wouldn't. Because you don't understand what salvation is. Salvation is a work of God in a person's life. It's a work of God. And if that hasn't happened to you, you're not saved. You're not truly born again because it's a work of God. And I'm not saying we, don't, we can't cooperate with that or resist that or restrict that in some ways. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying salvation. When you got saved, you took, God took charge of your life. You became his. You know, in Jude chapter 1, it says we're preserved in Christ Jesus. Do you know one of the things that makes it so simple and plain to me that salvation is eternal? When you get saved, you didn't just, you didn't just receive a, like a religious certificate. You were placed in Christ. If any man be in Christ, we are, our life is hid with Christ in God. In that great chapter in John chapter 10 it says, talking about the, the sheep and, the, and the, sheep, the gate and the sheepfold and those kinds of things. He says, nobody can take, you're in the Father's hand and nobody can pluck you out of the Father's hand. That's a pretty safe place to be. Nobody can pluck you. And I've heard people say, well, that just means that 
that you, other people can't, but you can pluck yourself out. And I said, no, I'm, I'm a somebody too. Nobody can pluck you out of the Father's hand. The Bible says we've passed from death unto life. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Yet he that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. It's like you can't die because you're so saved. It's unreal. Our security is based on God's promises. And by the way, our assurance of salvation is equally based upon God's promises. It's not based on our feeling saved. Well, I just don't feel saved today. I don't feel saved lots of days. But it's not based on how I feel. It's based on what God says. Salvation is a wonderful thing, isn't it? It's a wonderful thing to be saved. It's of God's mercy. It's of God's grace. And it's of God's power. And he keeps us. And he has set us apart for himself. And he works in us more and more and more to be more like him. That's God's plan. I think, um, I mean, I would hope that people see this. I think most everybody would. But there is no excuse, no justification, no reason for a true child of God to be loose or unconcerned or casual about sin because we belong to God. I don't deserve to be his child. You don't deserve to be his child. It's a privilege to be a child of God. But because we're his children, he, he did this in us. And by the way, he did it in us he didn't, he didn't ask us, how saved, by the way, how saved do you want to be? He didn't do that. There's only one salvation, right? He didn't ask me. He didn't ask you. And I personally would question if a person came to God with the idea, you know, God, I, I don't want to go to hell, but I don't really want to live a life for you. I don't really think that works. I don't think that would work. No, when you got in, you got all in. Whether you, whether you realize it or not, you're all in. And you know, you're, you know how in you are? If you're really saved, you try to live outside of his will, he'll put a knot on your head. He'll thump you. He'll correct you. He'll chasten you. He'll bring you around like Jonah. Wow. Nineveh don't sound so bad after all. God has a way of doing that. You know why? Because he loves you. He loves you. I didn't understand all this when I was a kid, and I heard preaching about hell and heaven and the need for salvation. And I was, I was made two professions of faith and was baptized twice, but I never really understood what salvation was. But I'll tell you, when I got born again, the light came on, things changed. Because that's what happens when you get saved. Amen? We ought to thank God for it. If you're here tonight and that's never happened to you, you need Jesus. You need Jesus. You need one of those come to Jesus moments that will change your life. Amen?
Amen. If you are saved, we ought to rejoice in our salvation. I don't deserve to be saved, but I'm so glad I'm a child of the King. Amen. Let's bow our heads together. Our Father, it's been such a blessing to, for me just to study about this wonderful salvation, how great our salvation is, how great our Savior is. What a gift, what mercy, what love, what grace. Oh God, that you would adopt us, that you would accept us in the Beloved, that you would wash us and cleanse us, declare us justified and sanctified. What a, what a privilege. What an amazing privilege. In honor it is to belong to you. And Father, I pray that as a result of just studying this wonderful doctrine for a few weeks about this great salvation that we have, I pray that we would just appreciate you and appreciate your word and your truth and endeavor to live out the life that you've called us to. We look for the day when we will be made whole. We look for the day when this body of sin will be made over, made new. This mortal puts on immortality. We look for the day when, as John wrote, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. In the meantime, Lord, help us to embrace who we are. Help us to embrace the fact that we're not of this world. That we've been called to live holy lives. That we belong to you. I pray that you would.